wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say I'm loud, say I'm clear for the whole round world to hear. I wish I could share so hey everybody, welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. Today we have a very exciting set of events that are going to happen this weekend. We'll start with Stogie Kenyatta's one-person show. The World is My Home by Paul Robeson. Um, now, Stogie, I'm a big, I think you know, a big fan of, uh, beyond fan, a student of Paul Robeson. He's one of the most, he's one of my best friends. I actually have friends like W.B. Du Bois and Paul Robeson and George Jackson, the prisoner, who talked to me. So I'm very excited about your show. I saw... A very impressive 10-minute uh, segment at an evening we had with uh, Queen Mother Nina Womack and on Juneteenth. And uh, you also have a very nice voice. I saw your, your Louis Armstrong singing was great. Mm-hmm. So I want, we'll go backwards to a lot of things about your life, but why Paul Robeson? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being on Voices from the Frontline. Uh, you guys are legendary, and I appreciate the work that you thanks. do in service of the culture and uh, the people, and especially in representing uh, third world uh, society and you know perspectives. Right. So, uh, but uh, Robeson is uh, without a doubt unique. He's um, he's one of one. He's yeah. um, uh, Robeson is a combination of left brain and right brain. He's Thurgood Marshall, Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, um, Du Bois, uh, Marcus Garvey, Michael Jordan rolled into one. He's, um, you know, as the son of a slave, excelling intellectually, top three, first, third African-American to get an academic scholarship, all-American, played football, baseball, basketball, ran track, graduated magna cum laude in 1919 when America was deemed, literally was an illiterate nation of immigrants. And here you have one generation removed from slavery, an African in America, you know, being magna cum laude valedictorian. There were no jobs for him in 1919, so he goes to law school, gets into Columbia University School of Law, graduates with honors, passed the New York State Board the very first time out. And so it was um, tremendous, you know, to have that while he's playing in the early NFL. What a lot of people do not know about his NFL career was that in 1995, Paul Robeson was posthumously inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. Really? So here you have the supreme intellect, an attorney, a fighter for social justice, and a Hall of Fame football player who was All-American in college as well. And so... Uh, and of course, 
one of the greatest baritone singers absolutely in the history of the world and spoke 12 languages spoke 12 languages and you know you know there's a story i know you know all these stories but when he was at rutgers he was the only black player on the team mm. and all the white crackers didn't want him so they gave him a hard time and they were literally spiking him with their spikes and and stepped on his hand and and the coach didn't do a damn thing right so finally he grabs one of the white guys and picks him up over his head and Robeson was at least six four giant of a man and he's about to throw him down on the floor and the coach jumps in okay okay Robeson's on the team leave him alone leave him alone so that was the beginning of how he became an all-american football player and so much to talk about, but um, we have. There's also a book in our bookstore by Susan Robeson called "How Grandpa Stopped a War," about oh. a, a beautiful book about how, in the middle of the Spanish Civil War, 1936, Robeson goes in to sing in support of the Loyalists, but when he starts singing, both sides put down their weapons for a day and just want to listen. And there was showing, which I know I read in some of your work, the role of art and the role of art in trying to bring out the best in people. So we have a mutual love and admiration for Paul Robeson. Um, how'd you make the transition from loving Paul Robeson to trying to embody him? Well, he was the least known of our heroes. And for someone as gifted with a global contribution that he made, it was almost offensive that so little was known about him. So when um, there was a Broadway version that James Earl Jones did, Robert Guillaume was going to do it, who played Benson, was going to do it um, for a university in California for Black History Month. He was the understudy for Michael Crawford for Phantom the Opera. Right. That January, Crawford came down with laryngitis, and the next three months... Robert Guillaume was going to go on, so they had a big casting thing to see who could possibly do it, and uh, they didn't call me in, but someone who knew me, an actor, Reginald T. Dorsey, suggested that Stogie Kenyatta would be magnificent for this, he would be the guy. So I came in, and um, I saw what they had. The Broadway version had 19 songs in it, and wow. a pianist on stage that played piano. They went back and forth. And I remember uh, being a, a Robeson follower that in 1924, when they told him what a great baritone he had, you know, um, when they wouldn't let him practice law, he was the first African-American attorney hired by a Manhattan law firm. He said he, didn't, he wasn't interested in singing. He said, <laughs> I didn't go to law school to come sing pretty songs for white people. You know, he said, you, you could look out a window or go to any church and then quiet. There are 10 great singers and baritones. Right. And growing up in the church like he did, African-American Episcopal AME churches, there were great churches, you know, and all over all over Harlem. You hear great voices coming out. And his father so was a pastor. Exactly. And so he said, but, you know, you can't find one attorney. So that was his thing. So they were trying to distract him there. So he wouldn't. It was only when... He couldn't, and he had to resign because, you know, he couldn't practice law, uh, that his wife, Eslanda, tricked him into becoming, performing on stage and using his voice. 
that was something special. So um, I rewrote the piece and I rewrote it like a movie because that's the only training I had. I've never written a, the only play I've ever written is the one I'm doing, but I wrote it like a movie, right? With a dramatic opening, you know, with took its history, which the Broadway show didn't do, opened with Harriet Tubman freeing his father at 15 years old from the Robeson Plantation in Raleigh, North Carolina. Wow. And have him come up to Philadelphia, where he joined the Army, fought in the Civil War, used that money to go to Lincoln University, the first HBCU in Pennsylvania, right. and get a degree in divinity to become a pastor. And when he did that, because now he's a college-educated African-American man, who, and, and, you know, he met a Philadelphia school teacher who was also a black lady, and Maria Bustill was her name. And Maria Bustill and him got married. They had four beautiful children. They homeschooled him, the teacher and the educated, college-educated dad. And her kids were brilliant. And Hold it right there because I just want people to know the voice that you're hearing, very great voice, is Stogie Kenyatta, who's putting on a one-person Paul Robeson show this Saturday at the Santa Monica Playhouse at 7.30. How do they get tickets? Because, you know, on Voices from the Frontlines, we get right to the point, which is if you're having a demonstration, how do I join it? If you're having a play, how do I come? So how do we get tickets for it? Uh, you can get tickets at santamonicaplayhouse.com or you can contact um, uh, here at uh, Voices and um, uh, Eric will get in touch with me, and uh, I will have. Um, uh, we're going to have um, uh, well some comp tickets for the staff here, and um, the tickets um, that you get through us through Voices um, will be to twenty five dollars, and so it's seven thirty on July fifteenth, Saturday at the Santa Monica Playhouse at Cross Street is Wilshire Boulevard and Fourth. There's parking um, across the street, a lot of parking lots and a lot of places to eat around there. It's a lovely evening out and it's a midsummer night uh, at the theater. Well, my wife Leanne and I are definitely coming. And, uh, you know, it's an important weekend, folks, just for a minute, that Friday night, KPFA is having a benefit at our Strategy and Soul Movement Center to raise money for uh, KPFK. And Channing will give you some more information about that event later so that's friday night you got to come to 3546 martin luther king boulevard saturday during the day is celebrating the 10th anniversary of black lives matter grassroots which will be happening in africatown slash lamert and uh there'll be information on our show about that and it'll be up on our website and then saturday night you got to come and hear stogie kenyatta so it's going to be a long weekend, a great weekend of culture and art and politics. Um, do you know Bennett Gilry's version of uh, Paul Robeson? Yes, uh, Bennett Gilry, he does uh, the, the one that was on Broadway. Him and Danny Glover, uh, they all do, um, oh, his name slips me now. He um, passed, the playwright who did it, the James Earl Jones uh, version, yes. Bennett came to see my show at the Santa Monica Playhouse. And I, in turn, did um, at the Roby Center. He's doing a fantastic job there, um, keeping that center alive. And Bennett Gillery and 
uh, Danny Glover has done a wonderful job in keeping Robeson's name front and center as well. So I'm very grateful to them. He's a, a, a fine man, and um, uh, he looks like some of my family members. Uh, I would not be surprised if we were related somewhere down the line. Cause, uh, <laughs> well, Justin Bennett, if you're out there listening, in 1982, I swear, along with Charlie Dagelman, I was the head of the campaign to keep GM Van Nuys open at the Van Nuys plant. Mm. And there was a lot of uh, red baiting of me, probably because I was a red. And we were organizing in the factory. We were winning the campaign to keep Van Nuys open. We had General Motors on the ropes when the right wing of our union started attacking us, right, for being leftists and radicals. So I had this big event of all these community leaders who came. And Charlie and Bennett put on the segment of the Paul Robeson show where he stands up to the House Un-American Activities Committee. Uh-huh. And that was a way of standing up to the right wing in our union in case they didn't get the message. Mm-hmm. And so thank you, Bennett, and thank you, Charlie, and all these relationships. You know, organizing is a lot about relationships. So we're back to Stogie Kenyatta. Okay, so you get the idea, you, you, uh, you audition. Well, no, I wrote, I wrote a new piece. You wrote a new piece, right. right. So you, did you originally do it on Broadway? When, no. When Guillaume was, was on? No, not at all, no. Okay. I never did, um, um, I never did the, the Broadway version of the show. Okay. Um, that would have required um, an operatic trained singer. Right. And um, uh, it had the pianist on stage. It was a different show. Um, it's not as radical as mine. Um, my show, as you'll see, holds... America and the West to accountable for their, you know, I mean, we talk about how slavery and the Holocaust wasn't caused by whips and chains and gas and guns. That was human arrogance. Right. Human arrogance. And European arrogance. America, Europe, your Western arrogance, treating us Africans like we're children of some lesser God. These were, you know, it it covers a vast, it it shows, it's, 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 um, it is, a very avant-garde, in-your-face show like Paul would have liked it. He would be proud of it. Louis Gossett Jr. saw it, and he says, um, he says whoa, it's, it's just strong. It is, uh, he's like, he says, uh, Louis Gossett has come, the fans of the show, as Beverly Todd and Judy Pace and Jane Kennedy, Bill Overton, all of them have been, you know, uh, out to the show. Marla Gibbs a couple of times, Bill Duke a couple of times. Right. You know, um, so it, it's it's been very you know um, uh, the great Ben Vereen, uh, you know. Um, so it's um, uh, it, it, it's wonderful. It's done a lot. I'm a six foot five inch leading man in a town that does not like big people, <laughs> right. especially big big black people. Right. right? Uh, well, uh, it, it's okay to look. If I look more like Bing Rains, I would have worked. Right. Because. There's, there's a roughneck to it, but um, I've heard on more than one occasion, Alstogie was amazing, but uh, he doesn't look like he's from the ghetto. <laughs> and I'm, I have to explain to them that there's no audition process for the ghetto, that you don't send in a headshot, <laughs> you just get to be, you know. But I understand that because I know the first time we saw Huey, Huey Newton and the leader of the Black Panthers, we thought, like, you know, uh, he don't look so tough. How's he lead the Black Panthers? Right. You know? <laughs> it's like, uh, and the same thing with Malcolm X. Right. You know, where we got to figure, like, you know, I'm not afraid of him. It was like, but it, it's, it's it's so different. And, you know, and how 
others see us because you know when others define you then it, it changes everything how do you get up to do this you know when you do the same show over and over at different times i saw you did about a hundred university presentations mm -hmm. and i you know very impressive but each day you have to get up and prepare to be paul ropes and each is each performance has to be in some way original in the sense of it starts in your soul and you got to get out on stage and you're the only one out there so what's the preparation process like that's an excellent question um i do a q a after the show and that's one of the questions that they, they ask me um uh, part of it is, it is my belief system. It is my credo for life. That's one of it. The other thing is, as a trained actor, you to some degree rely on technique to some degree, but my process of acting is, you can't expect the audience to share them emotion that you're not experiencing right so i go there every time because the words that i wrote that he said i truly believe in you know uh, my son asked me he was at uh, university of penn and he says don't you get tired of doing the same show and i said why would you say that and he said because every time you go up and he said but i don't do it every single day he's like i know but at least twice a month you do the same thing and you've been doing it for years and I says, yeah. And I said, who's the most impressive professor at your university or Ivy League school? So, well, the head of the chemistry department. Does he teach classes? He says, yes. How many classes a week does he teach? He says, around five, I six, you know. He said, so every day he gets up and he tells the same students the same thing. Because chemistry is not changing from how it was right, right. the whole thing. Okay? And he says, that's a good point. If you teach history... History is what history was. <laughs> you go and you teach that. Okay? How many doctors do you think doctors get tired of sending their patients? Listen, you got to cut back on the drinking, the smoking, the alcohol, leave the cocaine alone, eat some fruits and vegetables once in a while, okay? <laughs> and I don't know, get some exercise. So the thing I'm saying is this it's repeating the same thing over and over. This is what life is it's excellence over and over and over many times. The pilot that flew me to wherever it was that I went, if you were to ask him, how many flights have you taken? He says, this is my 2,800 2, times I've flown. I'm going like, get out, that's impossible. He's like, I've been flying for over 10 years. Okay, and well, so- one, the, one thing though yeah. is that, you know, I'm reading this book called The Method, and I did some acting, not a lot, but I was in summer stock at one point, and mm -hmm. I think one thing you realize is that the the play is fresh every time. You know, you're coming to it from the moment. You're not the same every day. You have things going on in your life. You may be sad. You may be upset at something. And then you have to go through a meditation to re-inhabit Paul Robeson and to re-inhabit your part, right? I mean, you don't just Absolutely. walk in there and go, but I'm bomb. I mean, there's got to be... Uh, you're Stoga Kenyatta, he's Paul Robeson, but when you're on that stage, maybe you're both. No, I'm just him. Just him, right. So you got to go from yourself, lose yourself in him, and what you're presenting is 
I would tell you, son, you try it sometime, you know, because that's an art. That's what artists do, you know, and the words have a way of pulling you in. You know, the, the script gives you the structure into a form, and you wrote the script, right? Absolutely. And each audience is different. Right. So they receive it differently. And so um, in the South, in Cape Cod, I've had people cry at different times for different reasons. You know, there are parts of the show to where his mother dies, there's a fire, and it affects kids because there's an emotional memory you bring to the, each performance. Everybody's carrying their journey with them in their own head, in their mind, in their heart. And so it, it's a thing. In the very beginning, when he comes out as a young slave and he's talking to the audience, uh, Miss Harriet left us here, did she? No, no, and they're talking back. And you're at college. Um, the first time was many, many years ago, I did the Vibe Conference at Washington State University. 800 black and brown kids for the first time seeing theater. I get them in there, the whole thing. And they had to get them calmed down, okay, then it gets dark. Black folks and kids that are not, they're just so happy to be out and in the theater in the dark, they're gonna start talking. And when you start talking to them, hey, who that, who that hiding over there in the bushes? Jamal, Reggie, Jen, yeah, Martinez, you know, everybody's <laughs> talking to me now. And it's like, um, Miss Harry, you'll run away too? And I was like, yeah, no. It's like, and so now, rhetorical questions with a trained older audience, these kids are not rhetorical. They're answering back. Why? Because you asked a question, okay? And you can see the professor off the side going, I don't talk to these kids. I'm trying. We had to get them to shut up. And until you say, they're talking back, you got any food? No, no, no. I'm good. I got a Snickers bar. I got, you know, Ed's funny, it's funny. It's, uh, hey, was that your kid brother that they lynched about a half mile back? He kept crying for you, man. Was that your kid brother? Silence. Right. What is that? Africans, Americans, and brown people in particular, and kids like me that come out of ghetto America, identify with, just like in Boys in the Hood, the good brother, the bullet's going to hit him. Right. And... I remember coming home in race riots and different things at school. Where's your sister? She's not here. You left together? Do not come back in this house without her. If you, well, what if I can't find it? Then you don't come back. Right. And you have that responsibility of dealing with someone who you were supposed to look after, who, for whatever reason, you know that because you're the bad kid, like I knew in my house, if someone gets shot or stabbed, it better be me because everybody else is good. Right. <laughs> and I probably deserved it. Right. And I know that God likes them better because everybody has told me that. <laughs> well, let me end with saying this, that, um, you know, there's a great quote from Paul Robeson. When he came back, uh, you know, the first thing he said is that, you know, if there was a war with the Soviet Union, the Negro people would not fight and should not fight. And then, you know, they, had, they jacked him up when he came with the airport. And they say, what about Stalin? What about Stalin? What about Stalin? He said, whatever's happened to Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union. You are responsible and your forebearers for 60 million to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations and don't ask me about anybody else, please. Mm. So he, uh, Robeson was a friend of the Soviet Union. He knew 
that there were problems in the Soviet Union. He knew that there were even people being assassinated there. But he felt that the Soviet Union was still a friend of the Negro people and the United States was an enemy of the Negro people and he was not confused about which side he was on. So he paid a grave price for that, as you know, and they took his passport, denied him the ability to make a living for about eight years. Uh, there's a famous concert he gave right on the border Canada. of Canada because he wasn't allowed to go across the border. So the workers came there and the workers came right to the border and he was at the border and I guess through you know through microphones he gave a concert to workers on both sides of the border uh, I also know and I saw it in one of your plays that after a while it did break him I mean after 25 and 30 years of fighting against the system uh, there's a in the film about Paul Robeson you see him come back from the Soviet Union in his Yes, late fifties, early sixties. He looks tired. Yeah. He looks tired. He looks, you know, he was Superman, and the United States was Kryptonite, and he beat the Kryptonite almost all his life. But eventually, the racism of the United States wore him down, which is why we elevate him in our bookstore, the Strategy and Soul Bookstore, thirty-five forty-six Martin Luther King Boulevard at King and Crenshaw why we have Stogie Kenyatta on our program. So tell us again the name of the show, the time of the show, the location of the show, and how they're going to get tickets. Yes, uh, the name of the show is The World is My Home, The Life of Paul Robeson. It is at the Santa Monica Playhouse. That's on Santa Monica between 4th and Wilshire. And it is Saturday evening, July 15th at 7.30 p.m. And tickets can be got at... at, at, at on the website at santamonicaplayhouse.com as well as... Um, uh, it will, if, if you don't have that, you can still contact um, uh, the radio show and, uh, and pass information on, and um, we'll have someone there at the door that can take care of you as well. Yeah, you can send an email. I mean, you should go directly to Santa Monica Playhouse. But if you want to send an email to Eric, at Voices from the Frontlines and say, hey, I just forgot whatever that brother just told me because we're not selling the tickets. We'll help you, okay? We want you to come. I think it's really important, last thing, is that, you know, on Voices, when authors come on the show, they say, more people bought my book on Voices than any other show. So we want Voices people to turn out Saturday night at the end of the program, come up to Stogie and uh, say, hey, I heard you on Voices, and because I heard you on Voices, I came out and saw your show. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm very proud of what you've done. And your wife and partner, Mishi, is the stage manager, and she'll be there as well. Absolutely. And thanks for having such a great team. Really, real pleasure to have you here. Uh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank All right, you. brother. All righty. Take care. I see All of the bags are down in the limousine Just the one carry-on I have the passport And We gotta hurry, honey We don't wanna miss the ship I know, baby I'm sad, too Come on Let me help you with your coat
over a thousand of our fans, friends, and extended family came to bid us farewell. Thank you. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Gracias. So this is Channing Martinez, your co-host of Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. Uh, we just heard a wonderful conversation between Eric Mann and Stogie Kenyatta about the life of Paul Robeson. And again, you can go to the Santa Monica Playhouse website to get tickets to the show that it's happening uh, this Saturday. Um, we're joined right now by Matt, um, who is going to be joining us on Friday night at Strategy and Soul for a KPFK benefit. It's Bastille Day. I think I said that right. Bastille Day. Um, and Matt has written uh, so a book of poetry, right? Is that correct? Uh, I have two collections up. Two collections of poetry. And so uh, he's helping to organize this event in support of KPFK. And as you know, I know we're not in Fundrive, but we need your support of KPFK. And we both want you to join us on Friday night, but you can also call right now as we're speaking, 818-985-5735 to support KPFK. So uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So so tell us a little bit about Friday night. What is it and what is Bastille Day? And also, so Bastille Day is, uh, you know, have you heard the, you know, the stormy, the stormy of the Bastille, right? So this is actually uh, in uh, commemoration of uh, the French Revolution, the beginning of the French Revolution, where, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, working class, uh, actually women from the from the fish market ran up on uh, on the Bastille. So this is a, kind of an inspirational thing to proletarian struggle, I suppose. And that that's kind of, uh, I think, why Bastille Day is celebrated throughout the world. Uh, but really, uh, you know, why why Bastille Day was really Michael's idea, Michael Novick, uh, to, to put it on a, a significant day. And uh, we really just want to raise, uh, raise the funds for the station. So, um, you know, I said, well, why don't we have a reading? Uh, I'll talk to Tom, see if he's interested in coming down. So who are these two poets? Well, me, Matt Cedillo. Uh, I am the, the literary director of the Mexican Cultural Institute of Los Angeles, as well as a host there, uh, KPFK, on Wednesdays morning and Wednesday morning at the 8 a.m of La Raza uh, Radio. Uh, and who is Tanguisa Martin? Tanguisa Martin is the eighth poet laureate of San Francisco. Um, some of the people, Gerald Horn has described him as the premier uh, revolutionary poet of his day. So this is a, it's a really, uh, really incredible poet who's been celebrated the world over. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I that's no, that's not hyperbole. He just got back from Kenya, did a whole tour there he's uh he's played in uh, throughout europe with jazz bands uh tanguisa martin is an incredible 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 uh talent who's uh, been recognized all over the world who's the other guy well the other guy is uh, an incredible poet whose talent has been recognized over the world just came back from nine city uh, book tour of italy um speaking of course of matt cedillo uh <laughs> myself <laughs> jokingly in third person but no both me and tonga are considered um i've been called the best political poet in america by greg palace so um, you know, both of us are considered very, uh, very, very strong poets, but but very strong uh, um, with a strong political line. So tell me a little bit about your poetry and we'll get into the night of and how that's going to look. But I'm interested in, you know, as you said, and and I do have to mention it and it'll probably come up later in the conversation. Right. Um, which is you know, in thinking about Bastille Day, I also thought about Haiti and the, you know, 
the, the how do I call it the storming of Haiti by the French and so we'll we'll talk about that but um sure. I'm interested in like tell us about your poetry and how did you get into poetry and what what is the thing that's uh inspiring you right now well my my, my poetry is really historically dense I mean there, there's a lot of like historical references uh to, to to many you know different events and I try to span across history um with a common theme right so there's I'll come up with an idea and I'll come up with examples of you know something that expresses that but I'll jump from like you know 1492 to 1915 to 1968 to you know so on and so forth back and forth and it's all connected by an idea so I mean for example like sundown levittown Fort Apache dirty Harry John Wayne blackface Minuteman Moynihan gone with the wind breaking bad you know something like that and so like it'll it'll it's really just like uh, but all these things are, are are connected by theme, and so um, you know I do that, and I do I do that incredibly well. So that more it said it said that I'm doing that incredibly well, um, and so yeah, so that's that's kind of my poetry. Cool, cool. And and how did you meet um, Tongo? So me and Tongo actually met in a basement, <laughs> in like Pico Rivera or something like this, uh, doing poetry, and he was not. At that time, well renowned. He was not at the time very well known at all. This was back in like 2000, and uh, I believe 2011. And uh, neither was I. And both neither of us were, were 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 we were both just kind of starting out. Um, but those who knew us, you know, we had these small these small cult followings, right? And uh, we're 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 really celebratory of our work. And uh, and I knew when I saw him, uh, like man, this guy is. This is either going to be like one of these like great tragedies of this person who was so better than everybody, right? Better than all the people you celebrate. Just and he was too good for this world, or he was to become like you know one of the leading poets of his day. And you know, you know, luckily for him, and luckily for us, and luckily for the whole world, uh, the second is what happened. So that's where I met him. I met, I met him when we were both just starting out, and to watch us have these like little parallel journeys, it's been it's been incredible. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he's, I consider him a great friend, but he's also somebody that. You know, I very much in in many ways like you know I admire and I, I try to you know you, you don't want to compare yourself to other people, but he's somebody that I'm always like, well, let's see what's he doing. All right, all right. Oh, what absolutely. am I? Yeah, 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 yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think and and I understand what you're talking about about the comparison stuff. Yeah. And I think for me, it's it's twofold that you don't want to compare yourself, but also you know, there's folks that do things better than you and you want to learn from them and you're inspired by them. So I, I hear that. I love that. Um, I like that your your poetry is, well, first of all, the, the style is really fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it it takes a lot of study to even pick up on all those, all those ideas. So even before you just said that little stint of poetry, the fact that you went 1960, I already knew. The... Yeah. The Columbia University strike, the killing of Dr. King, so many things that happened in 1968, 1492, the expelling of the Jews and the Moors from Spain. Um, how do you how do you go from there? Let's go backwards to you're just getting involved in writing poetry, and how did you come to write political poetry? Well, I was more I was involved with uh, with with you know political stuff and organizing before I was involved with poetry. I mean, I, poetry became a vehicle in order to do to in order to be more politically engaged. And I think that you know for a long time I was both you know in, writing poetry, but I was also like you know on the ground organizing doing this and this. 
Um, but as time has passed, I've, been, I've more just kind of accepted my division of labor as a, as, as a writer. But I'm not a good organizer. I have a short temper. I get really upset. I'm like, you had one job and it was to bring the chairs. And I, I, you know, I have, you know, you know, your excuses are your own. And so that's, a, that's not a good attitude for, for someone who's like leading the, whatever. So I, I, this is what I do well. I do my job. Someone else do theirs. And, and that's it, you know? And so that's kind of how it became, but I was involved in, in those things. And I'm still involved in, in, in a lot of things. I'm, I'm involved in the fight for ethnic studies uh, pretty heavily. I'm a member of the Association of Rasa Educators. Um, also, as I said, the literary director of the Mexican Cultural Institute of Los Angeles. So fighting for the you know, the Mexican, you know, culture imprint in a city, in a country where, you know, we're like the least represented demographic uh, across, you know, media, films, literary arts. And so fighting those fights, uh, I'm deeply, deeply entrenched in that. So. Um, mm. I love it. I love it. I mean, I, I, it's often the case that you start in social justice first and then find these really wonderful things. So I started at the Bus Rising Inn a uh, very long time ago now, 2007, um, and found photography through that because I was given a camera and said, take pictures while we're at the rally and uh, loved it. And so, but I'm still involved in social justice, right? Still carrying on the fight, but also doing photography. So I love that. So the elephant in the room, Bastille Day. I, I hear what you are saying and I the voices from the front lines is not a communist show or a socialist show, but myself, I am a communist, right? And so I I resonate deeply with what you're saying, which is it is the working class um, that decided to rise up and create what is now known as the uh, the French Revolution. But then I hear that, and I also think about Haiti, right? Because yeah. as almost what almost what three years after the french revolution is concluded then france and uh i always block his name um napoleon basically storms haiti right, right. and I i'm curious how you're thinking about that in the celebration of bastille day well you know i celebrate you know bastille day i mean it's, it's not something i i typically celebrate or it's, it's on the forefront of my thoughts right uh, but uh, if you were to ask me, do I celebrate, you know, these 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 working class people that rose out of the fish markets to overthrow the the French monarchy? Absolutely, why not? Uh, but how do I look at the actual role uh, of quote unquote revolutionary France? Of course, it's imperialism. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the fact that. Uh, you know, you have a, a huge slave revolt in, in, in Haiti, one of the first, you know, successful revolutions, uh, really this is the first successful. I mean, if you look at the United States, kind of as a counter-revolution, maybe the first successful revolution uh, in, in, the, uh, in the in the Western Hemisphere. And, and, you know, Haiti ends up supporting a lot of the, what Bolivar will later do, you know, gives material support to, to the Bolivarians as they, you know, seek to drive Spain out of South America. Um, that's really great. And the fact that, that Haiti ended up having to pay reparations to France that weren't paid back until the 1900s. Well, this is all terrible stuff. And that same France uh, attempts to recolonize Mexico uh, within a few decades um, yeah. and, and event, you know, and installs Maximilian Hasberg, who ends up getting assassinated. Oh, not assassinated. He gets a, you know, right. He gets, his, he gets the firing squad, which he had coming uh, as the, the force of Benito Juarez throw, or, you know, throws him out. So, I mean, how do I feel about that? Oh, that's a different question, you know, but that, but I would say the same thing about Mayday, right? Do I support you know, the, the the actions that came out of, you know, Chicago and all these things that that would happen when, when all these like, you know, people striking. Sure. Um, that same United States of America is is, you know, a horrific beast across the world. So absolutely. absolutely. I, I mean, that's how I, I, that, I mean, you're asking me a question that that that, that really 
I never really thought about because I've never really thought about Bastille too much, but that is my honest off the cuff answer. Um, so yeah, so I would celebrate the working class of, uh, you know, any, any, any people trying to, you know, the, 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 the poor rising up against the rich, generally speaking, two thumbs up. Uh, if you're asking about revolutionary France, that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great answer. Um, thank you for that. And so let's, let's conclude on this, that on Friday, uh, we're going to have you and Pongo performing. Um, tell us about Friday and how is it going to go and what can we expect? Um, how well, do people get tickets? You know, right. Go to kpfk.org to find out more information uh, on the tickets. And uh, and there, there's a reception at 6 and then there's the actual show at 7.30. So the reception at 6 uh, is a higher premium and then later the premium will be the, the, the show um, at 7.30. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, Tango, again, is, is, is a world-renowned poet. He is an incredible poet. His politics are very strong. Um, he he writes in a way that's reminiscent of, of kind of the beats. It, it really is this kind of um, surreal, but at the same time poignant, and at the same time, it, it draws, across, again, it draws across a lot of history. As far as me, as far as I'm concerned, you know, when I when I do poetry, it's, it's, it's really designed to engage, and it's designed to you know, engage, enrage, activate, you know, it, it's really designed to make people want to get up some sticks and go out and do something, right? That's why, so that's why it's very rapid fire, a lot of history, a lot of this, a lot of that, uh, set up in like a three-act structure, you know, we're great, we're wonderful, oh my God, they're they're killing us, um, we're going to win because we're so great, we're so wonderful, right? So, and we're we're powerful and here's here's our here's our strength, right? So that that's kind of how I write, so the, that's what people can expect, I mean, so anyone familiar with either work knows um, that it's, it's going to be a, a night of a real revolutionary fire in many ways though. I got to say that, you know, between me and Tom Lisa Martin, um, you know, in this little age range, this little age cohort, I mean, you know, some of the strongest political poetry like in the country. I love it. I love it. I noticed that I said that was the last thing, but I do have one more thing that I always end with is that, you know, as revolutionaries or folks that are working on the ground, doing the work, I'm always interested in what are what are your thoughts right now? What are you reading? Um, favorite things that you're reading, political things that you're trying to figure out. Are there any last things that you want to talk about? Well, I mean, right now I'm working on. I mean, I'm working on on the completion of my last ma on my next manuscript, which is or, or going back and re-editing things and realizing I need I need some little I need one or two really historically substantive works uh, in, in this next next collection. Uh, so right now I'm reading I'm rereading uh, Race and Class in the Southwest by uh, Mario Barrera. So that's really, um, you know, I'm reading about you know, that so. Real fantastic. Mexican stuff, real, you know. Real. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you Friday night. I don't think I've actually heard uh, your poetry, but I've heard that you do a lot of poetry and that your name has been floated everywhere. And so I'm really looking forward. And just as a reminder, folks, it'll be Friday night at Strategy and Soul on the corner of King and Crenshaw. You can go to kpfk.org right now to get tickets. Um, and as Matt just said, there is a higher premium for the um, the meet and greet, which is always the best part of any event, right? Um, but then there is the baseline ticket for the actual performance, and we want you to get both. Stay for both of them and then stay afterwards to talk to Matt, to talk to Pongo, to talk to me, to talk to Eric, and talk to so many folks. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for jumping voices from the front lines. Thanks so much for having me, Shane. So hey, everybody. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. You're a national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. So you know by now my singing is part of the show. 
and I've been trying to do some karaoke and some sing-along. And I was going to try to do karaoke to He Don't Love You by Jerry Butler, but there is no such thing. So I spoke to Jerry, and I said, do you mind if I sing along with you? He says, well, given that we're about the same age, sure, I'm not threatened. So the great Jerry Butler who did For Your Precious Love, Stand By Me, He Don't Love You Like I Love You, and 20 other great songs, Okay, Jerry, you sing, and I'll sing along. He don't love you like I love you. If he did, he wouldn't break your heart. He don't love you like I love you. He's trying to us apart fare thee well I know you're leaving for the new love that you found that handsome guy that you've been dating oh I got a feeling gonna put you down Cause he don't love you like I love you. If he did, he wouldn't break your heart. He don't love you like I love you. He's trying to tear us apart. Here's a great line. He uses all the great quotations. Says the things I wish I could say. But he had so many rehearsals. Darling, to him it's just another play. But wait, when the final act is over and you're standing all alone, when he takes his bow and makes his exit, girl, I'll be there to take you home. He don't love you, and he never will love you. If he did, he wouldn't break your heart. He don't love you like I love you. He's trying to tear us apart. So you're on KPFK, 90.7 FM. In Los Angeles, 98.7 FM. In Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And you can get our own podcast either on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com, or if you register on Voices from the Frontlines, Channing Martinez will send you the podcast with a link within a day or so of the show. So... This is Eric Mann, the host or co-host with Channing, and 
I listen to CNBC a lot because, one, I find it interesting. Two, because I do follow the stock market. But most importantly, I follow capitalist thinking. And the business people are much more honest than the politicians who are just complete chauvinist liars. And there's a complicated relationship between U.S. capitalism and China. And we're going to listen now to John Ford's conversation with Andy Jassy, who's the new president CEO of Amazon. And you're going to find some interesting dynamics about how Jassy is really not interested in the war with China, as you will hear. So let's listen to him, and then I'll comment. So then on the e-commerce side, I'm sure you've seen this site, Timu, right? Uh, and they're, you know, it's not the only one, but offering ridiculously cheap uh, deals on things. Um, and there's a move in Congress to say that this is unfair, that there's this sort of rule loophole, perhaps, that if you're shipping something directly from China worth less than $800 into the U.S., you don't pay tax. And that's part of what's helping uh, these companies like Timu to have really cheap access. Do you, is that something that you think needs to change? Is that perhaps an uh, Amazon competitor uh, in China that's rising up here? Again, I don't really think of it that way. I mean, when, when you're talking about regulation, I think you always have to think about what is it that you're trying to regulate and why. And based on however I define the regulation, will I have unintended negative consequences? And so I think the thing you have to worry about if you're talking about applying a tariff to products coming in from China is what are you actually accomplishing and who might you hurt? You know, I, I think about it, you know, I, I see it in lots of marketplaces, including our own, where you've got Chinese sellers who used to, who are always manufacturing the products. They used to sell to American or European retailers. They'd sell it wholesale, and then they would repackage it and charge more to consumers here in the U.S., where now, where Chinese sellers have direct access to consumers, they're selling direct to consumers and at a lower price for consumers. And so you have to make sure whatever regulation you put in place, you don't end up accidentally creating higher prices for U.S. consumers, particularly at a time where consumers are sensitive about price. And so it seems like maybe you're saying even uh, platforms like Amazon have third-party retailers who are maybe using that access and then offering those prices to Amazon's customers. Yeah, I, again, I, I, to me, yeah, on the regulation, you have to make sure you understand what you're trying to accomplish. and. You could really hurt U.S. consumers at a time that's probably not a, a good time to increase people's prices. Welcome to a civilized imperialist. Now, John Ford is very interesting because notice he keeps using the word cheap, ridiculously cheap. You don't say that about Amazon. You say they have bargains. You say they have competitive prices. The word cheap is racist, you know, cheap labor. The, the, you're implying that the worker is cheap. You know, you don't say low-wage workers, which you should. Now, here's the funniest thing. John Ford, you're talking to Amazon, which cuts the hell out of the prices and has driven more companies out of business than anybody. You don't say you have cheap products, John. You say you have competitive products or discounted products. So you're trying to trap Andy Jassy into a trade war. And of course, with all the racist, and John, you are black, and with all the racist framing of it. But there's several times in this interview where Jassy is very cool, and he just says, well, 
instead of saying you're a lion, he goes, well, I don't see it that way. And what he says is, so let me go through what they're saying. The first thing he was saying is that the Chinese historically have sold, let's say, to Walmart. Walmart buys it from the Chinese, repackages it, raises the price, and charge it to you as a discount because they got it at such a low price from the Chinese. Now, under Timu and other uh, direct retailers, the Chinese are saying, well, why should I sell to Walmart or to Amazon, for that matter? Have you jack up the price? Why can't I sell directly to the consumer? So John Fort, again, trying to stir up, well, they have this loophole that if it's under $800, you don't have to pay taxes. And he's implying that the federal government should put tariffs on Chinese goods coming in. Now, let me just take a minute. And I mean this very seriously. I mean, the United States is a white settler state. And what I disagree with a lot of people about is I think the majority of the people in the United States are imperialists. They love wars. They hate everybody. So it doesn't take much for these reactionary Congress people to get out and say, the Chinese are cheating us again, you know, in that tone, that horrible tone. You know, I think the Chinese should start selling opium to the United States as the United States did to them for 100 years. So then that could be their new import is selling opium. No, that was a joke. But the point is, the Chinese are outthinking the United States, are producing the United States, and they have lower cost, higher quality items coming in that they're selling directly. So why is Andy Jassy essentially doesn't want to go to war with China, right? Okay, one, he's saying, look, we just announced in the next segment that on uh, Amazon Prime today, we're going to cut our prices by 50%. And John Ford doesn't say, isn't that cheap? Cheap? Are you sneaking around with cheap stuff? No, he goes, oh, that's really brilliant. You're such a great retailer. So what Andy Jassy's saying, look, the law of unintended consequences I mean you try to do a thing and it's going to backfire and bite you in the butt. Let me give an example. You put a tariff on Chinese goods, they'll put a tariff on U.S. goods. You'll have a trade war. Amazon is receiving some of their direct sellers from China and not marking them up. Just putting it on as, uh, you know, as a, as a merchant. He likes that because people buy it. Then they buy Amazon Prime, which is the biggest way that Amazon makes its money. It's about 125 a year, which we use all the time because, you know, I get my toothbrush from Amazon. So the the point is that he is resist. Yes. Can I can I just add yeah, one yeah, thing yeah. as an example? Is that one thing that I saw during the pandemic is that when when it hit the United States, as an example, you went on Amazon, you couldn't find a thermometer. Right. All of them were coming from China. All of them had stopped because they stopped all imports from China. And so I like what he's saying because you don't know that you you have not taken stock about how much the United States is actually reliant on Chinese products to actually even continue their day-to-day operation and so i think that's such an important point yeah and the thing is is that 
um, Janet Yellen, just the uh, Secretary of Treasury, I believe, just went to China and again accused them, just accused them of uh, stealing intellectual property and everything. The United States cannot compete fair and square in the market. If they lose, they accuse you of cheating them. Now, you have to understand seriously, U.S. and Europe controlled the third world for almost 400 years, and they stole things from people for free, plus they cut off your hand in the process. Now, the countries like China and Korea and Singapore are developing their own industries. The United States doesn't know what to do, so it wants to have a war with China. So my point is, and this can be a constant theme on the show, is all the different ways that the United States is losing in the world. And that war is the weapon of the loser. The reason the United States has the largest military budget in the world, almost $1 trillion, is because it can't compete. It can't live at peace with people. It's planning a war against everybody. So in the middle of this, and John Ford, you should be ashamed, by the way, seriously, that level of questioning was U.S. chauvinist, is notice that Andy Jassy said, well, I don't see it that way. It's the law of unintended consequences. The reason this is important is the only way that we're going to probably stop a war with China is if Bill Gates and Andy Jassy and others tell the United States, this is not in the interest of U.S. business. And I thought this was a great interview and you should listen to it. So we are on the side of the People's Republic of China. If you, I am. I am not on the side of the U.S. imperialist white settler state. And you're just going to watch every single way that in every interaction with China, it begins with a racial insult. So with that, go China, go. And... Um, Go to Amazon and buy all kinds of stuff. Then you organize the uh, Amazon workers. So every time I get Amazon, I say to the guys or the women, so you're going to join a union? You can join a union? And they say, well, thank you for encouraging me. So I have a multifaceted strategy. This is Eric Mann saying thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Front Lines. This has been a great show. Again, I want to remind you about three events. Friday night. Come to Strategy and Soul to the KPFK benefit, and you can go to kpfk.org to get the tickets now. And we want you to get a ticket for both the meet and greet and the program. Saturday during the day in Mert Park, Africa Town, Black Lives Matter is celebrating their 10th anniversary, and we will be there, and we hope to see you there as well. And then Saturday evening, Stogie Kenyatta will be doing his one-man show on the life and legacy of Paul Robeson, such an important play, at the Santa Monica Playhouse. You can go to the santamonicaplayhouse.org right now to get tickets, and you can email us your comments and questions, and even about tickets, uh, to Eric at Voices from the Front Lines and Channing at Voices from the Front Lines. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. I'll have